Today's scripture reading is from the book of James, chapter 4, and may be found on page 1198 in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you. James, chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with God, friendship with the world, is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment upon it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if uh, any of you are paying close attention to what Anne Rice is up to these days, but uh, she made a pretty interesting announcement on Facebook on July 28th. And you you probably know who she is. She wrote the book Interview with a Vampire and Number a number of other novels, and about 10 years ago, she became a Christian. She professed faith in Christ. Well, now she's uh, choosing to walk away from that. In fact, on July 28th on her Facebook page, uh, she put this, quote, I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being Christian or to being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group For 10 years, I've tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. Now, there's two things that really 
bother me about this. First is that Anne believes that she can be committed to Christ and not to the church, and that's just fundamentally not true. But that's not what we're focusing on today. The other thing that bothers me, and I hope it bothers you, is that there's kind of some truth to this. We are quarrelsome. We don't get along as well as you think we would, having been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so that leads us to a very important question. What is it that's preventing Christians from getting along with each other? What is stopping us from really treating each other and the world as we are called? Why are we judging each other like James talks about here in this chapter? Why are we boasting about what we are able to do like he also talks about? What is preventing the followers of Christ from getting along with each other. And it's, this is at every level, if you think about it, because you've got the church broken up into all these different denominations, and they're different denominations because they don't seem to get along. And then within the denominations, there are churches that don't get along with each other. And then within churches, there are usually groups who don't quite get along with each other. And even in our very families, our nuclear families don't get along as well as they could. Now, why is that? What is it? about us that is preventing us from treating each other as we should. Well, you could say we're sinners, but that's too easy. James takes it real deep here. He says the problem is friendship with the world. That's what's preventing us from treating people as we should. Friendship with the world. So today we're going to look at how friendship with the world hurts you. It hurts the church and Only Jesus Christ can set us free. Friendship with the world, and we'll talk about what that is, hurts you, it hurts the church, and only Jesus Christ can set us free. So to understand this, we'll talk about three things, our depraved desires, the dual direction that our hearts tend to go in, and then, of course, our definite deliverer. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I pray now that you would use this unworthy servant to show how worthy of our worship you are. I pray that you would show us your majesty in this text and help us to love you more and serve you better. Be with us now. Change our hearts. For Jesus' sake and in his name we pray. Amen. So we really are able to only cover verses 1 through 10 uh, specifically today. So that's what we're going to focus on. And if we look at verses 1 through 3... Ultimately, what James is teaching us, whether we like it or not, is this. The depraved desires of your heart and mine cause strife and conflict within you, which causes you then to treat people poorly. The depraved desires of your heart cause strife and conflict within you, which causes you to treat others poorly. Now, you may recoil a little bit there and say, whoa, I don't have depraved desires. Well, yeah, you do. And it's, it, everybody does, so it, you can relax. But we all do have depraved, evil, and sinful desires in our heart. Even after we have come to faith in Christ, we still struggle with wanting things we shouldn't want, with depraved desires. In fact, think about Matthew fifteen nineteen. Jesus is speaking to Peter, a follower of Christ, and he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Scripture teaches us that whenever we do something wrong, it started in our heart. 
And that's what James is focusing on here. Look at verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? It's another way of saying, why can't you guys get along? Why can't you guys treat each other as you've been called? And then he gives the answer in the form of a question. Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Now, an important piece of this, understanding this, is that word desires that he uses. In the Greek, that word carries with it a negative connotation, that, that it's wrong or sinful desires or passions. And that's why I'm saying that we our depraved desires are what are causing us to quarrel and fight. You see, whether you like it or not, you want things that you shouldn't want and since you're not getting them, it's having such an adverse effect on you that you're lashing out and treating people poorly because of it. You're fighting. You're quarreling. You may have seen the movie The Incredibles. Uh, it's a good movie. It's not incredible, but it's good. And uh, The Incredibles are this family of superheroes. And the dad is kind of like this big Superman guy, and the mom is sort of like a Stretch Armstrong person and then the kid can run real fast and the little girl can make force fields and turn invisible and all this awesome stuff and it's a great movie and uh what the main part of the story is eventually there's this supervillain named syndrome and he's out to kind of destroy mr incredible and in the thick of the fight we find out that syndrome was once this little nice little boy named buddy this little boy who had gone up to mr incredible and said hey i want to help you i want to be incredible boy but Mr. Incredible, knowing how dangerous fighting supervillains is, of course we all know how dangerous that is, he says to little Buddy, fly home, Buddy, I work alone. Buddy then, over the next 15 years, lashes out and becomes Syndrome and becomes basically the arch nemesis of Mr. Incredible. But the thing is this, he said, Buddy went up to him and said, I want to help you. If he really wanted to help Mr. Incredible, he would have never turned against him. There was something else. Maybe he wanted the glory of being a superhero. Maybe he wanted to be Mr. Incredible. Maybe all along he wanted to take Mr. Incredible down. But the point is there was some desire in Buddy's heart that when it wasn't met, he lashed out and he became this supervillain. And what James is trying to show us here is that while you may never become a supervillain, the frustration that you feel in your heart over not getting these things that you sinfully desire is wreaking havoc on your life and your loved ones and your church. When we catch ourselves being mean, being rude, enraged, being hostile, towards anyone, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, what Scripture calls us to do here is stop and identify this unfulfilled and depraved desire. What is it that I want that I shouldn't want? We need to identify them so that we can do something about it. But what do we do? Or how do we identify these depraved desires? James makes it pretty easy to figure it out. In the second half of verse 2, he says, You do not have because you do not ask God. Plain and simple. If there are things you want, but you don't ask God for them, you are not supposed to want them. Think about that. 
if there's things you want in your life, but you won't ask God for it, it's because you know that you shouldn't want it, and therefore you're not going to ask God to give you something you know you're not supposed to want. So that's one way of identifying a depraved desire in your heart, things you won't ask God for. The other way is uh, if you ask God for things when you're, you know deep down your real motive is something wrong. You have the wrong motivation. That's why he says in verse 3, you ask when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And there's a selfish connotation to that word pleasures. So, you know, in this, in hard times like this, maybe a lot of us are praying for money, but do you really want money to provide for your family and provide for those in need? Or is there a little desire in you thinking, boy, it'd be nice to have a lot of money so I could buy a lot of stuff. Maybe you pray for power and influence and you're on the surface. You're saying, I want power and influence so I can help people and do good things. But deep down, you want power and influence so you can control people. If there's something you're asking God for when deep down you know there's a different reason that you want it, you're not going to receive it and it's going to drive you to treating people poorly. So, so we, we have to. As followers of Christ, in obedience to this text, we have got to take time to identify these depraved desires that are lurking in our hearts uh, so that we can address them and begin to feel power over them through Jesus Christ. So recognizing the desires is one thing, but we have to go deeper. James goes deeper, so we have to go deeper. Acknowledging that we have these depraved or evil, sinful desires is one thing. We've got to understand where they're coming from. I mean, if we've put our faith in Christ... And God has put His Spirit within us. How are these depraved desires getting in? How do they get into our heart? James says it's because of the dual direction of our heart. Look at verses 4 through 6. He says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. What he's saying is the dual direction of your heart is the source of your depraved desires. The fact that your heart is torn between loving the world and loving God. Now let's identify what he means by the world here. He's not necessarily talking about creation, the earth and the universe. Uh, He's also not specifically talking to just people, talking about people. When James uses the world, when he's talking about having friendship with the world, He's talking about, as one theologian puts it, the whole system of fallen humanity, its institutions, its structures, its values. You see, uh, there's a big difference between the way the fallen world tends to operate and the way God would have his people live and act. And to be friends with the world is to operate according to the standards and values of a fallen, broken, sinful world. And that's why James uses the word friend. He's very intentional in using the word friend. Think about your friends. You like your friends because... Why? Because they're good to you, you're good to them, you like the same things. Think about this. You can go into any cafeteria in virtually any middle school or high school in America, and I've been in a number of them, And at lunchtime, you see the same thing everywhere. What is it? You see a group of friends over here and a group of friends over here and a group of friends over here. And as you get close, you realize, oh, you guys aren't just eating together. You also, a lot of you like the same music. And you like, you apparently wear a lot of the same clothing. 
Some of you all play the same sports. They like each other and they have a lot of influence on each other because they share the same values. That's why they get along. That's what they're drawn that's why they're drawn together. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about our value system. You see, to be friends with God, to be a worshiper of God, God's calling us to say, God, I want my values to be aligned with your values. Friendship with the world is looking at this fallen, broken world and its values and saying, it's okay with me that some of my values match up with some of the world's values. And the problem here is that God's value system and the world's value system are diametrically opposed to each other. And that's why he says friendship with the world is becoming an enemy of God. Ultimately, he's saying there's only two lunch tables in this cafeteria, God's and the world's. And you can't sit at both. Can I tell you something? Whenever your standards and values line up more with that of the fallen world's than with God's, that's where you're going to find depraved desires sneaking in, causing you strife, leading you to treat people poorly. Get this. Your values fuel your desires. What you value fuels your desires. I'll give you an example. If you value knowledge, then you desire an education. That's a positive value. And when we think about the different value systems of the world and of God, like I mentioned before, we begin to see how opposed they are. A couple topics. Think about money. God does not want us to put a whole lot of value on money. What he wants us to value is generosity. He says we should give and give sacrificially and give till it hurts even because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he will provide. The world says you need to earn and keep as much money as possible. In fact, you need to go and, and, and see all these commercials on TV with the people carrying a number around in an orange case. There's so many commercials out there telling you you've got to keep and earn as much money as you can. And that is opposed to the way God wants us to view money. Think about enemies. Scripture says, amazingly, that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But the world seems to say, no, hate your enemies. Kill them if you can. Get them back. Or forgiveness. Clearly, we see through the cross that God values forgiveness, but the world seems to say, make them pay. The value systems are different, and we have to understand that because of the fall, because Adam and Eve fell into sin, our value systems are broken. They're messed up. Being guilty of sin is not our only problem. But also, we are subject to the moral corruption of our very value systems that occurred at the fall. You see, God the Father didn't send His Son, Jesus Christ, just to pay for our sins on the cross, but also so that they together could send the Holy Spirit to dwell within us to fix our value system and thereby clean up our desires. That's why James says in verse 5, and I'm going to read from the English Standard Version because it's a little clearer. Verse 5 in the English Standard Version says, Or do you think that Scripture says without reason, He yearns jealously over the spirit He has made to dwell 
in us. You see, God puts his spirit in those who believe in him to lead and to guide them, to rearrange and realign their values with his. And God hates it when we reject that leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit and refuse to allow him to transform our values to match up with God's values. To borrow a concept that we talked about at high school camp, it is hypocritical and wrong to live according to the values of this fallen, broken world when we've been set free by Christ, by the Spirit, to live according to God's righteous values. That's why James uses this word, jealousy. If you've been reading your Bible for enough time, you've realized that there's a metaphor that runs through the Bible to uh, refer to God and his people, and that is of a husband and a wife. Jesus is the bridegroom, the church is the bride. And so James uses this term, adulterous people, because he wants us to see we're cheating on the one we belong to. We belong to God, so why are we listening and being influenced by the value system of this fallen, broken world. And as a good husband rightfully is jealous when his wife is flirting with some other man, God is rightfully jealous as we flirt with the world and its value system. Another example of the difference between God's value system and the fallen world's value system is pride. Think about it. The world seems to have pride as a value. And especially in America, people are always saying, you should be proud of who you are. You should be proud of this and proud of what you've done. And that country song says, that's something to be proud of. And everything's about pride. And you know what? God hates pride. God hates pride pride. And so James quotes from Proverbs in verse 6 and says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, the world values pride. God values humility. So James wants us to know that the reason we have these unfulfilled and depraved desires that are causing so much strife in our life, the reason we have them is because we're allowing our hearts to go in two directions. We're trying to love God and love the values of the world at the same time. As long as we allow the fallen world to influence our values, we will have these depraved desires in our hearts that will be waging war and causing us to fight and quarrel with those that we love so dearly. Thomas Watson is a uh, Puritan theologian that I like to read, and he has a good analogy. He says, the danger is when the world gets into our heart. And he uses this analogy. He says, water is useful for sailing a ship. The danger is when the water gets into the ship. And he says in the same way, the danger for us is when the world, when the broken value system of the world gets into our heart. So we need to devote our whole heart, whole heart, to serving God and realign or align our values with God's and thereby have our desires cleaned up as well. So how do we do that? 
to do that, we focus on our definite deliverer. Our definite deliverer. Look at verses 7 through 10. I love this passage. It's full of definite things, and I think it's so powerful. Uh, look at you in verse 7. He says, submit yourselves then to God. He says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Skip to verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do you see how definite his statements are? He's not saying, resist the devil and he might take it easy on you. No, he's saying, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's definite. He's not saying, come near to God and God may show up. No, he's saying, come near to God and God will come near to you. That's definite. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Jesus is the definite deliverer. And how do we know we're talking about Jesus? Because he uses that term Lord. James only mentions Jesus two times in his whole epistle. But he refers to him many, many times by calling him the Lord. And so James is saying that we need to humble ourselves before Jesus Christ, the Lord. And he will lift us up. How do we do that? How do you humble yourself before the Lord? James lays it out. Starting in verse 7, he says, submit to God. Part of humbling yourself before the Lord is saying, you are the authority, your values are right, I'm going to do things your way. Understand what Scripture teaches and live that. Submit to God. Choose to obey. Resist the devil. It's another way of him saying, fight temptation. When the world and the devil and the flesh are telling you to want certain things or do certain things, you say, no, I'm going to resist this temptation. And you can because if you are a follower of Christ, you have the Spirit within you giving you power to say no and to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God. It's another one one way we come near to God is prayer. Spending time in prayer, asking God to help you resist the devil, to help you submit. Wash your hands, purify your hearts. When he talks about grieving, mourning, and wailing, he's saying we need to repent. We need to repent of our broken values, the ones we share with the world, and turn away from them. He wants us to stop laughing at the fact that we sin and actually begin to weep on account of how great of an offense it is for us to sin against this holy and merciful God who has done so much for us, primarily in sending His one and only Son to redeem us. And that's the funny part, the ironic part. I mean, who or what do you think can lift you higher than Jesus Christ? You know, these depraved desires that you have, these things that you want, they cannot lift you up. Even if you were to attain them, they cannot lift you up. Living according to the value system of the broken and fallen and sinful world, that will never lift you up. That will never lift you up. Only Jesus can truly lift you up and out of the struggles of your life. Only Jesus Christ can lift you up. And you know why? He can lift you up because he's followed the same path that he's calling us to follow. Jesus understands fully that it's humility first and then being lifted up. Humility first and then exaltation. Think about it. Jesus, the eternal son of God, humbles himself by coming to earth and being a man and living under the law. Jesus submitted to God. Jesus resisted the devil. Jesus prayed to his God, to his father. The only difference here is that Jesus never had to repent. 
because he never sinned. But what he did do is lovingly and willingly choose to take our sin upon himself and receive the due punishment instead of us. That's what he did. Nobody, nobody has ever been more humble and humiliated than Jesus Christ. And nobody has ever been or ever will be more exalted, more lifted up than Jesus Christ. So he knows. He knows that humility comes before being lifted up. And so the Word of God boldly declares, definitely declares, humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ and He will lift you up. That's good news. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Have your values realigned with God's values which will clean up your desires and enable you to treat your loved ones as you have been called to treat them. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will definitely lift you up. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, Give us the strength to obey. Give us the grace to resist the devil. Give us, call to us that we come to you, that you will draw near to us. Help us to grieve and repent of our sin and sinfulness. Help us to humble ourselves before you, that you may lift us up and send us out to bring others into relationship with you. We thank you so much that you've chosen to come near to us in the Lord's Supper as we are about to celebrate. So bless this time and this sacrament. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.